You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt and not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. Here we go. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe, from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend out there? As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> In this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast, we're going back down to Australia, everybody. We're going to land down under with my friend, Mr. Corbin Geyer, and we're going to talk about all the things he loves to hunt, which is pretty much everything. He's a man who loves to put ferrets in holes, drive them out for his speed dogs to catch, loves to hunt sandbar deer behind hounds and push them across these vast, rugged canyon lands of Southern Australia. He's a man that's a jack of all trades. And I really enjoyed talking to him. He's very knowledgeable. He's a ranger for a forest division. He um, really knows a lot about the wildlife and the natural areas of Southern Australia. And I just found him incredibly interesting. I've known him for some time. So I was looking forward to having him on the show. And before we get there, guys, 
I want to talk to you about a couple of our friends of HXP. I want to start with Paws Are Protected. I'm thinking about Paws Are Protected right now because I got some on my own feet, which you're like, what? Listen, Paws Are Protected is for conditioning your dog's feet and keeping those pads supple yet strong over rough terrain. And I use it on my Greyhound's feet to keep their feet tough when they run over a lot of the rough, rocky terrain that they run over when they're hunting rabbits on the desert prairie. And those feet can get pretty beat up, cut and gashed, or even looks like a melon baller can scoop away that pad sometimes when they hit those rocks at high speed. I keep paws of protect on their feet, precondition them, and it keeps those pads looking beautiful. And I get some pretty gnarly cracks on my feet because I wear sandals a lot because it's super comfortable. <laughs> and my feet can get dry and cracked all the time. I use Paws of Protected on my feet and it helps keep my feet looking great. And I'm sure my wife is behind me shaking her head, but <laughs> I think it's a lot better for me. So if you uh, join us on Patreon, guys, we send out an exclusive code where you get 20% off of your purchase for Paws of Protected. And that's just another perk of joining us on Patreon. And speaking of which, guys, give me a moment and let's talk about Patreon. For as little as a dollar an episode, you can help keep the lights on here at HXP. And first of all, you're joining a community of like-minded houndsmen and women that want to help HXP's mission of preserve, protect, promote. And in return, you know, guys, we want to make sure you feel like we're all a part of this community. We, when you join, you get a sweet Houndsman XP Tumblr. Also, we give away a monthly prize drawing where all of our members are entered into uh, winning a hat, a t-shirt, some handmade gifts by Melissa Stevens Nash, handmade collars, which are sweet. Also handmade gun slings, all kinds of sweet stuff she makes. Our friend Jared Moss with Best Gun Dogs and Best Hound Dogs. He has Cavalier Leather and he's been donating gifts for our, our prize giveaways. And our semi-annual drawing is for our mid-tier and uh, our highest tier members. They, we give even more stuff away, shirts, hats, mugs, stickers, also these products made by our friends at HXP. And then once a year, we give away our big prize package to our $12 patrons. And that's our big, awesome prize package. So we look forward to having that. That will be coming up soon. All you have to do is go to houndsandxp.com, click on the Patreon tab. It'll take you right there and we're right available for you to sign up. Guys, we really appreciate every one of you. I like to put out extra podcasts on our patreon account they're called tailgate talks they're just casual chats with friends of hxp it's me it's lauren it's chris talking to each other talking to our friends and we just talk about anything we want uh, it's a great time and i love to send out a little extra content we also are putting out pro training tips they're from our friends jared moss from chris from me coming up so stay tuned for more of that awesome video content we also have cool articles recipes for our favorite stuff favorite game even pickled ramps from melissa nash which i need to try a ramp apparently they're like the combination of a like onion and a garlic sounds delicious sounds like the best seasoning ever right we want to also feature our profiles of our patreon members talk about their experiences their life and like i said guys tailgate talks i love to talk to everybody I love talking to everybody I can get a hold of. So reach out to me. Let's chat. I'd love to have you on a tailgate talk. Super casual 15, 20 minute talk. You want to be a member of the Houndsman XP community? You want to talk about anything you want with me? Let's do it. Reach out to me. So anyway, patreon.com 
top right search bar, search for Houndsman XP, or go to houndsmanxp.com, search for us in the Patreon tab. We're there. Okay, guys, also hunting season's in full swing. Our dogs are out, we're running. And I want to be able to take data and remember things that happened years ago and be able to make critical decisions on how I raise and train my hounds for years to come. So I got myself a Stickbow Outdoors hound log and I've been keeping all the data from all my races this year so far, as well as updating and retrofitting my old data that I kept in a crappy Excel file, now I have in the hound log. The hound log, what a great idea. And it's something that I am so psyched to have and I guarantee you will too. Bart put a lot of time in that book and he made sure it's the highest quality of ideas that go in that book. I really, really love the part where you can critique yourself and your hounds and a place for goals. You know, in my logbook, I pretty much only focused on the good stuff. And I think it's also really important that you take some time to reflect on your dog's performance in ways that you can improve. I really like that he has parts in the book for observations like needs work and shows potential. To me, that's just like a great way to keep you focused on the future and improving. And you know, looking at how your dogs are performing now and then of course comparing them to the future. So, so take it from a dorky scientist like me, data is good, long-term data is gold. So get yourself a Stickbow Outdoors hound log right now. If you go to stickbowoutdoors.com and you enter the code HOUNDSXP at checkout, you'll get 10% off your hound log. It's awesome and you're gonna enjoy having it. And I'll tell you right now, I don't care if you're 100 years old or you're 25 years old, you are going to appreciate having this data to look back on because your memory will fail you. It doesn't matter how much fun you had and how unforgettable you think that day was, you will forget details. You write them down, they're there for all time. They're not in a cell phone that's gonna get run over, lost in the snow, incinerated in a fiery accident, whatever. You've got this for all time and you are gonna appreciate it. Stickbowoutdoors.com, that's S-T-I-C, bowoutdoors.com. Enter the code capital H for Hounds XP at checkout, 10% off. You will not regret it. And lastly, guys, I wanna talk about Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters, we've hosted several Freedom Hunters hunts. They help get our veterans, Gold Star family members back out in the field to reconnect or connect with the outdoors for the first time. It's an organization that is, I mean, wonderful. What else can you say? It's people helping other people. And that is what I think is an incredibly important way to preserve, protect, and promote our outdoor lifestyle in all facets, especially hound hunting, it's great, guys. Check it out. You can get a hold of the Houndsman XP crew if you want to host a Freedom Hunters hunt for yourself, or you can contact Freedom Hunters themselves. They can help get the paperwork started for you to hunt to host your own Freedom Hunters event or hunt. So check them out, you guys. Freedomhunters.org, and check out getting our veterans from the field to the field. Thank you, Houndsman XP community, for hearing us out, and we really appreciate your support. And after saying that. Let's get started. Without further ado, let's listen to Mr. Corbin Geyer, Southern Australia. Today, I have a very special guest, a good friend of mine, Mr. Corbin Geyer. We've been talking for several months online, and uh, he reached out to me after I had Luke on the podcast. And uh, we've been good buddies ever since and chatted a long time. And 
I convinced him to come on the show and talk about how he does things. He was always super informative to me. So, uh, Corbin, why don't you introduce yourself to the Hounds and XP world, bud? Uh, hi, everyone. Yeah, uh, Corbin, you here. Um, thanks for having us on, man. And my pleasure, man. It's my pleasure. I was really excited to have you on. Uh, there's just something about Australians that have been super cool. And I don't mean to disrespect my fellow Americans here, but after I had Luke on the show, all these Australians just kind of came out of the woodwork and have been really, really cool. And not in like a, I want to be on the show super bad way, just like in a really like sincere and awesome way, just talking about dogs and just really excited to talk to me about everything, really um, all things hound hunting. And I've made a lot of Australian friends. So Shout out to the Lion Down Under. You guys are cool. There's a lot of really neat houndsmen all over the country, east to west, north to south, that have been super interesting to talk to. And I've learned a ton about Australian hound hunting just from the various chats I have going on. So you're one of them, buddy. And you have showed me all kinds of neat stuff. Uh, just tell me a little about yourself. Tell, tell the HXP world a little about yourself, bud. Oh, uh, well, yeah, thanks for that, mate. Um, I just, I reckon it's, a lot of people don't, really know what we get up to down here and so i always love you know teaching people how we hunt down here or that we actually do hunt mm -hmm. um yeah so i pretty much if you can hunt it i'll hunt it in australia um mostly i chase foxes with uh staghounds and terriers um i also do a lot of ferreting for rabbits and also uh chase samba deer with the uh the big hounds up in the high country that was so cool when you first showed me some of that i'm most interested in talking about that because it's uh similar to what some people do in the states here but there's just something kind of even more mystical about something like a sandbar deer this like tropical elk like deer that runs all over the place in southern australia that was really cool and the pictures you sent me were awesome <laughs> yeah like like I love, I love hunting pretty much any single way you can with dogs, but there's something about, you know, just standing in these giant mountains and you can hear these hounds, you know, like eight, 800, 900 meters away, you know, just really, really distant. And suddenly they're getting closer and closer and closer. And, you know, they're only like 200 meters away and you can hear all this crashing through the bush. And then this filthy big Samba stag just comes running straight past you. <laughs> that is so awesome. Oh, I'm like envisioning it in my head. And after the videos you sent me, I obviously gave me some fodder for that. But that sounds so fun. Like I would love to try that. Maybe one day I'm going to just sneak down there to Southern Australia and I'll just come find you. Maybe you'll hear me crashing through the woods. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, mate. Any Anytime. So tell us where you are in Australia. Tell the Tell the Americans where you are in well, I guess the whole world where you are in Australia and, and uh, what, what's the terrain like there? Um, so where I live, it's South East Australia. Um, I live on the border of uh, New South Wales and Victoria um, in this little town called Wodonga. Um, and it's probably one of the best spots in Australia to go hunting. If I go out East, um, you get into all of the, uh, all of the mountains where all the, the Samba live, there's fallow deer as well, red deer. There's, you know, you've got the mountain pigs living up there as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you go out West, um, I get onto a lot more of the flats double country where we do a, a whole heap of fox hunting. Yeah. You guys have a really amazing um, success rate fox hunting. 
and that's something I definitely want to get into. But, uh, you know, another thing I, I wanted to ask you is, is I'm just going to get right to it because we're talking about deer. Tell me and the HXP world about how Australians view deer, because at least from what I've collected from other Australians I've talked to, deer kind of have this weird special place because they don't, they're not viewed with such like vitriol as wild pigs. They, they kind of have a special place because deer are so charismatic. Why, why don't you explain kind of the general view of sportsmen about the, there's five introduced deer species, correct? Uh, I think there's more than that. I think there's six or seven. It depends because there's two types of rooster that live here as well. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, but um, oh, I don't know. I'm probably wrong. Um, I guess it's, it's a bit of a love hate thing. Um, most hunters, uh, especially hound hunters, can understand the damage that deer can do to our uh, our ecosystems. Um, we don't have any hard hoofed animals native to Australia, so a lot of our our flora is um, uh, has a, has evolved uh, without any of those sort of herbivores around. Um, so things like deer and wild horses can really trash. Uh, a lot of the more fragile ecosystems. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, yeah, on one side, you um, you, you want to get rid of them, but on the other side, they're, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. So can you just kill as many deer as you want, like you can other ferals, or is there like a season or a limit on them? Um, there's not really a limit, uh, in Victoria at least, where I do most of my deer hunting. Um, there's a hound hunting season. Okay. Uh, it pretty much just runs all through the cold months of the year. Um, gotcha, gotcha. There's there's no such thing as as bag limits. Like we can shoot a lot of deer. Like we can shoot fourteen, fifteen deer uh, for <laughs> the so for the weekend or even for the day. And um, go back next week, and there'll be just as many deer. Yeah. So what are the populations like? Are they really high? Are they just kind of moderate? At least in your area, I know that can vary widely by where you are, but typically where you hunt are the densities of these large deer pretty high? I mean, what, what is a, what would be considered an incredible day and what would be considered an average day? Uh, yeah, 14, 14 deer in a day is an incredible day. Um, uh, on average, we would get, I think probably about four or six. Wow. That's yeah. still impressive. Yeah. There's, it's incredibly rare that you don't go out and, and the crew doesn't get a deer. So, so describe to me, how you set up a sandbar <clears throat> hunt with hounds? Um, I guess it kind of depends with what crew you hunt with, but the crew that I hunt with, uh, mostly what we do is we'll look at a, uh, a large system up in the mountains um, and block off all the routes where you think the deer are going to run out. So it might be down uh, the bottom of a creek. It could be at a creek junction or if it's up high, it could be uh, in the saddles. Um, mm-hmm. The deer are pretty lazy and they like to run over the lowest point or the easiest way. So if you hunt a system a few times, you get a fair idea about where they're going to run. So It's very similar to elk hunting here. I mean, they can go into some crazy, rugged terrain, but any time spent scouting, you kind of learn that they're, they're actually pretty lazy and they're going to kind of walk through the easier areas if they, if they have the choice, you know what I mean? So you're using yeah, the yeah. dogs to push them to those advantageous areas, right? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and like once you start to, to learn a, um, a system, like one of the guys might be like, cross the creek here and go up that spare 150 metres. There's a really good game trail there and just sit on that. And you'll be sitting there going, this is the stupidest place in the world. I can't see anything. And then, <laughs> you know, a deer will come running up to you five metres away. So what are you hunting with? What kind of weapon are you hunting with? Um, uh, with hound hunters, I reckon the, uh, the rifle of choice is Remington 7600 in 306 or mm. 35 wheeling. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a good hitting round. 30 out 6 yeah. is classic. Classic, classic. Yep. So that's the job. Um, you- I, right now, I'm using a, uh, a Ruger Scout in 308. It's nice and short. It's light. Um, comes up really easy. I love 308. I mean, I've killed a deer, an oryx, bunch of feral pigs. Uh, let's see, so a javelina with a three hundred eight. I love it. It's a good medium range. It doesn't pulverize meat. It's easy to handle. Ammo's cheap. I, I love three hundred eight. I think it's great. Yeah. Well, like some guys think that it's a little bit light for samba, but I don't know when you've got a whole pack of hounds chasing it. it doesn't make much of a difference i don't think so yeah and at five meters you know what i mean <laughs> you could chuck a spear at it at five meters and do enough damage i'd feel <laughs> yeah a fair, fair splatters them yeah <laughs> so so do the hounds ever bay them up or is it just a drive i uh, know they definitely will but will bail them up um you guys say bay uh we say bail good um, good good point it took me a while to figure that out because what i imagine bailing is is like let's bail on this party. Like, let's get out of here. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. so, and when you say bail, I was imagining the deer were taken off and then I had to like, watch some YouTube videos of Australian pig hunters. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So bail equals bay to the yeah. same language, different language barrier. Yeah. Talking to Luke after all these months, he's taught me a lot of Australian ease, a lot of oh, funny yeah. <laughs> Australian words. It's great. You guys, a lot of two syllable words I've noticed. A lot of shortened, condensed into two syllables, but that's just convenient. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty pretty lazy with how we speak, I think. So. <laughs> so, so when you bay them up, do they just hold in like a water hole or do they just back up to a tree? Like I'm trying to imagine what a large elk-like deer does when it's surrounded by dogs. Yeah, nine times out of ten, um, if, if they bail up, it's in a creek. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, all the dogs will be standing on the bank either side just screaming their heads off. Does and, the, um, do they ever, like, try to engage or they're smarter than that? I, I imagine a hoof could be pretty pretty intense from one of them. Uh, that's kind of a problem uh, here. We lost hound hunting um, a decade or so ago after a pack of foxhounds dragged a stag in, um, in the middle of a campsite in front of a heap of campers. Oh, <laughs> um, and there's a few other incidents like that, and so they can hound hunting, uh, and a lot of guys fought very hard to bring it back. And the stipulation was that we're only allowed to use certain hounds, and they cannot touch deer. Ah, I see. So yeah, explain yeah. the hound hunting culture, if you will, in that area. I mean, is it real common? Is it a widely practiced and incredibly like deep tradition? I mean, obviously, it matters a lot to the people hunting with dogs. And I really applaud your community for standing together to bring it back. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, so when you say you have these rules about certain hounds, what, what do you mean exactly, like certain breeds? 
Yeah, so we, we're only supposed to run uh, Beagles, Bloodhounds or Harriers. Why? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, a lot of guys, uh, uh, if you, if you, I'm guessing Houndsman XP people will know, but a Harrier is just, it looks a lot like a smaller foxhound. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, I think that's what a lot of guys run these days is, is Harriers. So. I, that, that is such a weird arbitrary rule. Yeah, there's there's some ridiculous rules uh, with hound hunting, but I think all guys uh, follow it to the letter. Um, you're only allowed to have five adult hounds in a pack, and I think it's two or three pups. Hmm. Um, you're only allowed to hunt with 10 guys. Um, you're not supposed to use UHFs. And, uh, there, there's like lots of rules like that. Like you're not What's allowed a to UHF? Use- uh, like the handheld radio. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you, you can't say, oh, like the deer's down in here kind of thing. Like you're not allowed to use the UHF to help the hunt. Like I'm imagining all, all you Australians like whistling and like making bird calls to communicate with each other, like some kind of rangers or something. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a bit outdated. Like I'm, I'm not sure how relevant it still is. Like a lot of guys have, have fought it. It's like, well, if the, if the deer's being chased, you want, you want the deer to um, be shot as soon as possible. Right. Um, and so using UHFs and GPS trackers, that's the other thing. You're not allowed to use GPS trackers during oh. that. Wow. Yeah, so you're, you are guys old school. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, I've never heard of anyone getting in trouble for doing it recently, but um, it's just, just one of those fair chase rules that kind of, mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah. Do you think um, that the GPS callers aren't fair chase? I'm not. I'm not asking like the legislation, legislation wise. I'm just asking kind of like what you think personally, because I don't really oh, have no, a dog I in think, that fight. I, I don't use no, GPS I think, callers. I think it's it's fine. I reckon they're really good. Um, they also make a really average hound hunter a really good hound hunter mm-hmm. quickly. Um, I mean, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say like guys, instead of like learning like how the dogs are sounding and what they're doing um, uh, just, just by voice, you know, they're looking at a collar and going, Oh, I, re- I reckon the deer's uh, sorry. They're looking at the tracker and going, Oh, I reckon the deer's doing this or the dog's mm. doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it, um, it definitely makes finding dogs a lot easier. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, if you're hunting in that heavy brush and these are, again, these are things that I just have little to no experience with because I hunt on big prairie. So you can see your dogs way out there and they always are coming back, but I guess you're using the old school voice sound of the hound. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, it's good. Especially when you can't see the hounds at all. And, and you know, they're only like 50 meters away and they're, they're going really, really hard. They must be looking at the deer. Like, it's, I- that imagine, I can't imagine how awesome that must be to hear those dogs headed your way and then just your heart is pounding getting ready as that deer is going to run by, huh? Yeah, especially like if one of the other guys has seen it and, and you know it's a big stag or something, it's like, oh, I've got to stop the wobbles here. Like <laughs> <laughs> buck fever is real. I missed. So I will admit I had the worst buck fever I've ever had on a raccoon once, <laughs> which is so weird <laughs> and dumb. We were hunting Javelina and we, a raccoon came out and I had a longbow 
and I drew my longbow on this raccoon. And I don't know why my buck fever was so bad. My arrow kept falling off of my fist, like off my wrist. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. But I've had buck fever so bad that I have tunnel vision. And that's just when I'm stalking. You know, what I mean? I, that must be, you know, it's such a split second thing on a deer drive like that. You just got to instinct. Do you use open sight or a scope or what, what kind of um, setup do you have on your gun? Um, I've got, well, I've got the open sights on the scout, but I've also got a red dot on it at the moment. Yeah. That's what I was imagining. A red dot or something like that with quick acquisition, you know? Yeah. Like most of the shots, um, you know, they're, they're within like 10 meters to 50 meters. Um, that's so you know, 150 meter shot is a really big shot, uh, in the Australian bush. Right. It's just, it's just that thick. I can't describe how thick it is. It's, just a wall to wall of, um, uh, of ground cover, um, on the side of steep hills. Uh, if the dogs are 400 meters way down a Creek, you know, if it's really thick, it can take you over an hour to get down to it. Wow. And they're probably moving pretty quick through the brush. Are there feral hogs there that can help make tunnels to kind of make it easier for the dogs to move through there? Or are you guys not really that covered up in pigs? Uh, where we hunt, there's not that many pigs, but there is a, there's wallabies and kangaroos that, mm. that they'll push through all that. There's a lot of blackberries down in the creeks and, and yeah, they'll get into that. But no, I look at blackberries and I'm like, Ugh, I'll just wait and hopefully it'll come out the other side. So. <laughs> how, how much does a, like a large sandbar stag weigh? Um, a fair bit. It's the, the third biggest deer in the world, I think. So it's it's up there with elk, I think. Mm-hmm. You talking like in the, like the, I'm trying to do my math here, like the 350 kilo range. So it'd be like oh, seven, eighty pounds, maybe. I'll Google it real quick. Math, my friends, math. See, I got okay. a degree in wildlife biology. Not oh, in, right. Not in math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, 180 kilos, according to oh. Wikipedia. So like 400 pounds to the people using American systems. You know, I use a lot of metric for work, but we don't go into weights that heavy. And uh, yeah, no, yeah. no disrespect to my fellow Americans, but I think metric's way better in pretty much every way. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, they, they, sorry, there you go. Um, uh, it's even heavier. I thought that was a bit light at the shoulder. I think I'm reading that right. Somewhere around 350 kilos. Oh, wow. So that's like seven. Yeah. So I was thinking about 800 pounds, close to 800. That would make sense if it's the third biggest because an elk can be like 400 kilos, 900 pounds. So how many hounds do you have right now for the sandbar hunting? Um, I don't have a pack of hounds. Uh, I'm just lucky enough to hunt with a really good crew uh, and, and those guys um yeah that's a great way to do it (laughs) yeah yeah it is they've they've got a lot of hounds a really really good pack of hounds Um, is it cold trailing ability or do they just need like do you put them on a sandbar track or you just release them at the tops of those gullies and canyons and things and kind of let them work down on their own until they kind of pick up a track on their own and go from there yeah um pretty much um uh, that's the way, like it, once again, like different crews do different things. Like some might just cruise really slow along the uh, dirt tracks and look for fresh, fresh marks going across the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but we tend to, one of the, one of the guys, one of the fitter guys, 
Um, he'll walk in at the top of the system with the hounds, uh, and yeah, they'll they'll hit like they'll they'll hit up a uh, a fresh scent and they'll be off. Um, yeah, you, I think hound hunting you learn a lot more about how deer behave than you do stalking. Might be a bit controversial to stalkers, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, you learn really quick where where a lot of the big stags are sitting and. And it's normally up high on those those eastern faces catching that morning sun. And so that's where we try and drop drop dogs a lot of the time. Gotcha. Yeah, that's how a big mule deer is here in, in the desert. They love to put their they go high up and they put their nose to the wind and they they put where they're looking downhill with that that um that thermal rising up to them. You know, they yeah, yeah. they can just have an amazing vantage point and they're really hidden up in those rocks. And yeah. I just, I love it. They're like ghosts, but sandbar deer is like a dark brown color. So I imagine they are, well, like you said, it's super thick. So you're not going to see them until they're running by at 15 meters. So they're probably pretty, yeah. uh, pretty hard to find otherwise, huh? Well, they just, they don't move. Like the second they see you, <clears throat> sorry. Um, the second they see you, um, just out stalking at least, uh, they just freeze. And you know, like most, most people, don't really see that many deer because they're just strolling along, like looking for a deer walking along or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, they just freeze and it's not until you either step on top of them uh, that they, they break. Um, And they just explode. Yeah. yeah, I always wonder how many, how many filthy big stags I've walked past um, that I just haven't seen. They just hold like that, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's why, that's why I like dogs because they know they're there. Yeah. 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 You know, one thing I was thinking too is I wanted to ask you, and and this is something obviously I know nothing about, but what is the climate for hunting like in your area of Australia? Because I hear, you know, different stories from different people around the country, but there's always kind of a general trend. But what what is the the hunting culture like in Southern Australia? Um, it's it's pretty good. Um. But I reckon it's good. It'd have to be like America. There's there's different hunting cultures though. Like you've got your hound hunters and your like the stalking purists, um, and you know, and then there's there's guys who they they'll only hunt uh, farmland on the fringe country. Um, this is all just for samba as well. You know, then there's the guys who uh, they'll they'll stomp their bloody ten kilo rifle into the side of a hill and slot a stag you know 600 meters away on the other side mm-hmm. um and, and yeah like that's just for samba and then you know you've got guys who they like the same as the u.s like they'll, they'll only hunt um like one certain critter like rabbits or something and you know they'll have rabbit dogs or you know just guys who just smash foxes with stag hounds is the is the hunting view by the general public pretty good around your area? You guys constantly fighting to keep your rights. Like, what's that like? Uh, I reckon it's both. It depends. Like, if you mentioned duck hunting, uh, a lot of people are like you. You can't hurt the poor ducks. Um, what, ducks? Like, like are they introduced ducks or are they native ducks? No, they're native ducks. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Victoria's has a season on them, and every single year the bag limit gets smaller and the season gets smaller and it's always, it's always about, Oh, there's not that many ducks around or there's a drought or, but, uh, it's, it always ends up being a political thing. Mm. I, I take it then introduced species don't have that much kind of charisma going for them, I suppose. 
Oh, I reckon it depends where you live. Um, hmm. There's a lot of a lot of people who live in the city are horrified if you kill foxes or cats because they're cute. Um, yeah, that's what Luke was talking about. <laughs> Me and Chris yeah, were like kind of flubbered, like you know, flabbergasted that someone would have a problem hunting something as destructive as a fox or a feral cat. They're just, they're responsible for so many extinctions and native species decline in Australia. It just just blows me away that people want to protect that, protect them. Yeah. And like their, their argument's always an emotional one. It's like rarely from a logical point of view. I love kitties. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's the same deal with, with feral dogs or wild dogs. Um, people, like I saw a comment the other day. It's like, Oh, I can understand why you have to get rid of the deer and pigs and foxes and that, but not dogs. It's like, they've what? Got a dog. Like, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that is something I've never really discussed ever. And I want to tell me about the Australian wild dog and it's not the dingo, right? It's a whole new thing now. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't shoot wild dogs much because I'm not that patient a person and you need to, you need to be lucky or really patient to shoot them. Um, like once again, that's like a dedicated thing that guys will do here like they'll just trap dogs or they'll howl up dogs um like so do they act they're like coyotes i mean like i'm are they fully wild or do they just kind of like hang out on the like outskirts of human habitation like what do they nah, look like they're, they're definitely definitely wild um they're ghosts yeah you rarely see them and if you do it's just a flash um or they you'll see a pack of them running through on a trail cam or, um they're, Are they like uh, dingo crosses with domestic dogs, right? That's kind of what yeah, I interpreted yep. it as. Yeah, that's right. Um, I'll, uh, near where I live, there's supposed to be alpine dingoes and people still talk like, oh, they're still there. They're still all, um, you know, there's still purebred populations in the wild. And it's, uh, it's just not true, really. Um, I hand in fox gaps. We've got a fox bounty here um, and a wild dog bounty. And they collect on the same day at the same time. And I was having a chat with the rangers doing the collection. And I said, what's the, because they test the wild dog scalps occasionally. I'm like, what's the purest dingo scalp you've ever picked up? Uh, and they said in 20 years, the, the purest uh, strain they found was only 25% alpine dingo. Wow. So yeah, they're all just wild dogs. They... They want absolutely nothing to do with people at all for the most part. Um, you That's rarely see them. Really interesting. Uh, and they just, they roll livestock as well. Oh, I'm sure. You know, because the, there's, the there's a lot of studies in the like Eastern Bloc <clears throat> countries near Russia, especially the country of Georgia, like Belarus. Yeah. They have huge populations of feral dogs, which are not wild dogs. They're just domestic dogs that have gone wild and live without yeah, any yeah. human assistance. But they don't, hunt cooperatively for big game they have really loose pack structures they have massive packs they have up to 50 individuals in a pack and they just kind of scavenge on human refuse mostly or beg they always live on the outskirts of human habitation or even inside human habitation but it sounds like these guys really did inherit some wildness from dingoes they, they sound almost like a coyote and i'm trying to imagine because a dingo weighs like 30 pounds you know 40 pounds which is like what 15 to 20 kilos but yeah 
Imagine um, if they get crossed with like a staghound or a greyhound or something. Now you got well, some kind seems, of super dingo. Yeah, no, it seems like um, if you see the crosses, you, you can all like it almost looks like they're um, always um, like farm dogs, like Kelpies or like even bloody, um, they almost look like like German Shepherd crosses or something. And they, they get so crazy. massive, like wow. 45 kilos. Oh, wow. That is like, really big. Yeah, no, there's some really, really big ones. And they just, they kill cattle um, uh, as well. Like, how, so, how big are yeah. their packs? How big are their packs? I don't mean to cut you off. I just have to imagine, like, how many dogs are in a, wild dogs are in 100 pounds? And they're, how many are there? Like, how many are in a um, group? Oh, look, I'm no expert on this. Um, sure, but, sure. I'm yeah. going to pretend you are right now. <laughs> yeah, all right, I'll, pre- I'll pretend as well. Um, well. In my professional experience, they're, um, you know, if they pack up, there'll be four or five in a pack, maybe a few more, a few less. Like they're happy being solitary hunters as well. Yeah, they really do retain a lot of wild characteristics. That's real similar to like coyotes or other wild canids. Even wolves, they have pretty small packs in general unless huge prey is pretty common. So yeah, yeah. that's pretty interesting. That's really interesting actually. Wow. What What's interesting as well is like the longer that you know the wild dogs have been here the more and more they start to resemble dingoes oh wow so those selective traits for wildness what made a dingo so successful as a wild dog is being selected for even in these like hybrids with domestic dogs so they're starting to kind of revert back to those traits that made a dingo so successful yeah it seems that way yeah that's Um, really awesome that'd be a great paper for like a master's or phd student in wildlife that'd be an awesome like genetic study and yeah, if they're so hard to find, though, that, that'd be a hard part. You got to collar a bunch of them, probably. Yeah, and then, you know, you, you really upset a lot of people if you, if you catch them and release them again. All right, right. I feel bad. Yeah. I totally derailed our hound hunting to talk about them, but I just think that's such a... I mean, imagine if we didn't have coyotes, but instead we had, like, they look like collies and <clears throat> weird German shepherds running around in the wild. That's so... Australia is so cool. I'm going to ask yeah. you, what's your favorite native animal in your area? Um, oh, I've got a couple. Like, uh, so my, my, my week job is a, as a ranger for a local land care organization. Um, and so I do get to see a heap of the, uh, the local critters around here. Uh, I reckon my favorite one would have to be the echidna. Oh, yeah, they're so cool. Yeah, and the feather-tail glider is this tiny little glider. Like if you imagine a, a sugar glider mm-hmm. uh, crossed with a mouse. <laughs> so you told me about them and I Googled them and I agree with you. I think they're probably one of the cutest animals I've ever seen. All the people listening, pause this podcast right now and Google a feather-tailed glider. You will not be disappointed. I don't care if your heart is made of pure granite. You will <laughs> like think they're super cute because <laughs> they are. That's cool, man. That's cool. So you also hunt with ferrets and sight hounds and terriers. Yeah. I should explain that a little bit because honestly, that's one thing I've always dreamt of doing. I think that would be so fun. And I, I just uh, do not have the right species of rabbit for that. And I do not have the right terrain for that. Why don't you explain ferreting? And I know a lot of Australians who do it. So break it down for us. You're going to be the, the flagship explainer of ferreting on hxp <laughs> oh right cheers um so my my other job that i do on weekends when i'm not 
out hunting is hunting, but uh, I go to a lot of um, properties, uh, small businesses that have rabbit problems where you can't, you can't shoot the rabbits, you can't bait or poison the rabbits. Um, and so I use ferrets, uh, staghounds, a little yark terrier and nets to get rid of as many rabbits as I can and destroy their warrens. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, for those who don't know anything about ferreting, um, it's pretty straightforward. You go up to the, uh, the rabbit warren. Oh, sorry, the European rabbits that we have here, they're introduced, I should say. Um, right. They're different to cottontail rabbits. These ones dig massive warrens underground. So like huge tunnel complexes, basically, like a prairie dog town to people that, yeah, don't know what a warren is. It's basically a prairie dog town of rabbits. Tons yeah. of them. Yeah, um, and they can, they, can, they can get really, really thick in some places. What do you mean by, like, how many do you think? What, what density? Because I <clears throat> saw some of the videos you sent me, and I was absolutely floored. Like, I've never seen that much rodent damage in my life. That was yeah. insane. So how many so, do you think are in a really insane warren per kilometer? Oh, if it was a, uh, a single warren and it's just um, about the size of an acre, which is a massive warren, but they're out there. Um, there, could be, there could be hundreds of rabbits in that. Oh, my gosh. I mean, they yeah. do have a reputation for reproduction. <laughs> oh, yeah, they, they do breed like rabbits, funnily enough. So, um, <laughs> Right, right. Well, like a good example is uh, that that place I did on the weekend where I, I called you. Um, uh, how big was that place? I probably did, uh, and uh, this this lovely lady's front yard um, uh, on a farm. It's about an acre, and I got sixty rabbits out of it, which was a oh my gosh that's pretty high density and I didn't get all of them either. So that is so crazy. That, yeah. That's just, I can't imagine that much density of, of small mammals in one area. It's just that this area of the world doesn't support that kind of populations of anything. So to imagine 60 rabbits in an acre is that's pretty amazing. And it sounds like a lot of fun. So break down how you, cause I have two questions, but I'm going to start with break down how you are professionally removing rabbits with dogs and ferrets start from the beginning all right so what i do is i have a chat with the um the the owner of the property um and just like to show them where rabbits will get into um other than the holes that are already there and what they can do to stop them doing that things like wood piles um, brush piles uh, old machinery laying around um lots of drum piles things like that like Mm -hmm. Anywhere that's that's stacked up and rabbits can get under, they'll start leaving. Like shipping containers, that sort of thing. So once I do that, um, I find where all the rabbit warrens are. Uh, I net them with these nets called long nets or fence nets. They're basically a, um, a soft netting fence that just runs around the uh, the perimeter of the the warren. It's about knee high. Mm-hmm. Um, and once that's all done. Depending on the size of the wire, and I'll tip a heap of ferrets into it and just stand back and wait. Um, the uh, the ferrets just run around underground, and uh, the the rabbits decide that they'll take their chances above ground. 
come up, uh, see the dogs run into the nets and, um, yeah, where I grab them, just snap their necks. Can you do it without a net around? I mean, obviously when you're doing rodent removal or you're doing rabbit removal projects, the net is going to tip the advantage massively into your favor, but do you, can you do it without nets and is it widely done without nets or is it typically used with balker nets like that? Um, uh, it's in Australia, it's a bit rare to use the nets that I have in the UK. It's pretty common if they're serious about ferreting. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, cause it's, you're looking at a hundred percent success rate. Like if, if I just want to take the dogs out for a bit of run and I've got the kids or something for a bit of fun, like I've got a rabbit warren out the back of my house that it's only ever got three or four rabbits kicking around in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'll just throw the ferrets in for some exercise and you know, they'll flush a rabbit or two and the, uh, the dogs can have a chase. What um, kind of dogs are you using for rabbiting? Cause I'm imagining you're not using beagles, bloodhounds or harriers. <laughs> no, so we use for the most part, uh, we use running dogs. Um, right. At the moment, my main dog, Lexi, she's, she's getting on a bit. Um, she's eight, I think. Hmm. Uh, she's a whippet staghound. Oh, um, yes. I'm imagining, because you said staghounds earlier, and my experience with staghounds is basically for coyote and pig hunting. And I'm imagining these big monstrous brutes. But I am assuming you're using lighter stags and also crossing them with a whippet. I can't think of a better bolting animal catcher than a whippet because they can blast off the line so fast. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I reckon the whippet staghound, well, I reckon our staghounds are built pretty similar to the US ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were originally bred for, uh, for dragging down kangaroos. So, Yeah, they're you know. so powerful. I, I, yeah. I, I always try to stress that in every podcast when I have running dog people on, but I think people think that because they're skinny, they're not very strong, but stags are so strong. I mean, they're just beasts. Oh, yeah. Um, like, and when you see like a 45 kilo stag hound like, hit a bloody eight kilo fox sideways, like, <laughs> just, yeah, like <laughs> dude, think that thing's dead on the ground straight away. Like, yeah. It's like me just running out and punching an like infant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a, they're so beast. So you, you cross them with the whippet to kind of up the acceleration, lighten up that body, but still keep that powerful, um, kind of frame that the stag gives them. Yeah. Cause mush, yeah, so she, you, she's like a, well, she's pretty interesting. That orange and white jip you have oh, running around a <laughs> little mushy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she's, she's cool though. She looks great. All right. Explain what mushy is. She's pretty um, cool. <laughs> yeah. Mush. She's only 10 months old. Um, her grand grandfather on the mother's side was a Jack Russell. That's so, that, that's what blew me away. <laughs> yep. A Jack, she doesn't look anything like a Jack Russell. No, she doesn't. She's got the color and that's it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, her grand her grandfather was a Jack Russell on the mum's side and the the grandmother was a whippet staghound. Who what was she? She was about twenty six inches at the shoulder and about twenty five kilos, somewhere oh. around there. Yeah, that's pretty good size. For yeah. weight wise to that to that height. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, just a, a really nice lean build. They just look like kind of like a big whippet. Um, mm-hmm. and then the offspring from that, uh, uh, I'm trying to think, so they, the, those pups ended up about 18 inches, 19 inches at the shoulder. I think mm-hmm. the, um, half running dog, half Jack Russell's. How'd they do? 
What's that? How'd they do? Like, were they pretty good? A half running dog, half Jack Russell. I'm trying to even imagine what that looks like. Do they have stumpy legs or intermediate? No, they, they, if you imagine a whippet that's okay. done a, a couple courses of steroids, you're about on the right track. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, they just had that kind of Jack Russell head, like just that broader head and muzzle uh-huh. um, and thicker through the body. Uh, they had really, they've got really good pickup. And oh, when, yeah. when we're chasing foxes in the open country, you can see that they're just, they can run a fox down, but not half as good as the whip stags or stag hounds. Right, right, right. That's what um, blew me away is that I always wanted to, I always dreamt of being able to use like quarter bird dogs for hunting. Cause I really like the personality and intelligence that bird dogs bring to the sight hound, you know, like in lurchers. But I quickly learned that if you're going to consistent, be consistent on hares, on jackrabbits, you have to have a pure running dog yeah, and nothing else. Yeah. It's just unbelievable how much even a quarter of a non sight hound, it's like you tie anchors to them, you know? It's yeah. Pretty, it's crazy. But anyway, yeah. continue. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I, no, you're right. Um, so yeah, those, those half crosses, uh, like they could catch a fox in the open in a, in a, in a paddock, but as soon as the fox hits them, some timber country, you know, got back into the bush. Like they just, they would make the staghounds look stupid. Um, that's like, that's when they just came into their own in that, in that thick country or in the granite hills. Why? Um, uh, just, just how nimble they were. And, uh, and just, uh. cause they, they weren't as big or as heavy. They could, they could turn like the fox. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, foxes are, yeah. You, uh, you're a pretty serious fox hunter. It looks like you know, that's some, I could spend, we could probably spend five hours talking about all the stuff you hunt, but <laughs> what, what is your favorite? I, I did. I meant to ask you that early on. What's your favorite thing you hunt? Um, that's a tough one. Uh, I really, I love <laughs> same here. It, it's gotta be a, a toss up between, between Samba and, and fox hunting. Um, yeah. When you have a really big day on a fox drive and you know, you, you got 20 foxes or so, uh, that's a pretty good feeling. So I, uh, we'll get there. I want to loop back around to the ferreting because we were, we got sidetracked oh, yeah. as I commonly yeah. do. <laughs> but oh, yeah. yeah. So, so Mush, Mush is that her, her mother's a, uh, one of those half crosses, um, and, uh, a filthy big whippet who deal with his own foxes went back over her and Mush is the, uh, the progeny. So half, half whippet. A quarter Jack Russell, quarter Whippet Staghound. So she's uh she's definitely going to be a superstar, no doubt. So I'm imagining. So we left off. You assembled your blocker nets, and then you yep. walk inside the warren and start releasing ferrets. How many ferrets do you have? And tell us about what it's like to hunt with a ferret, because all I know about ferrets is they smell weird and they do a thing called a war dance. So yep. <laughs> tell me what, like, what, how do you train them, or do they just do it on their own? Like, how do what, what's that like? Uh, no, like I told you the other day, like I'm, I'm a horrible trainer at animals. I'm, <laughs> I'm not patient enough. Um, every, everything my animals do is pretty much instinct and experience. Um, that is the beauty of sight hounds, really. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's the same with a ferret. Like when they're, you know, 12 weeks old, 14 weeks old, you just put them in front of a rabbit wine that's got rabbits in it and they'll go down or they won't. And I guess because we've got mostly working ferrets here in Australia, um, nine times out of 10, they go down. And from there, I just go, well, this one comes up when I want it to come up. It flushes rabbits well. It doesn't kill them all the time in the burrows. So, Is that a bad thing if they kill them underground? Oh, it's a pain in the ass. Um, yeah. You can spend 
you know, an hour or two digging out a ferret with a rabbit or in that same time, you could have gone to another spot and got seven or eight rabbits. Gotcha. Yeah. So you kind of so, want like the, the bale, the like bay hound of ferrets kind of, <laughs> you want it to just chase the rabbits out instead of trying yeah. to tackle them itself. Yeah, that's it. Um, and like some guys, I haven't had one yet. Some guys have ferrets that if they do kill the rabbit, they'll drag it out. Which oh, that's awesome. Be, yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, I saw you summon one, like bring one out of the ground by taking a rabbit and kind of like shaking it at the whole entrance. And it worked great. They all came out. That was yeah, pretty that's cool. Pro- that's probably the only training I do. Um, I just grab, I'll grab one of the dead rabbits and just flop it in the front of the hole. Um, my... The science behind it, my bro science, is they, <laughs> they must smell the rabbit. I can hear that thumping and they go, oh, something's up there. And, and you know, I just drag the rabbit back away from the hole and they all come out looking for the rabbit. What blew me away, if you don't mind, I didn't want to steal your spotlight, but what blew me away is how you were like, oh, they, they're just going to sniff it until they see the rabbit's head. And then they all lunged on its head and they all bit down on its head. And you lifted the rabbit up in the air. And there's just like three ferrets dangling from this thing's head. They're pretty impressive little things. And they are like a snake cat. They're so flexible. You pick them up and they just like rolled around your hand and all over your wrist. It was really cool. Oh, yeah. You could fold them in half and I could send you one in an envelope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, they're they're such a weird animal. But what a cool way to hunt. I can't get over how awesome that is. I also could not get over that me and my wife were sitting in our living room watching you hunting live like 6,000 miles away from us. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm just dirty that I, I couldn't call you back later that day when I actually got into a lot of rabbits. Oh, I know. That was, that was <laughs> lame. I had to go out and I had to be a good husband. Yeah, I had to go hang out with friends. And I, I tried to text you earlier and I was like, I won't be able to make it. And then, it, so the listeners, he called me and we were, we were talking and he's had his... Uh, we FaceTime live on this Warren and they flushed a rabbit and they caught one. He's like, Oh, this isn't a good uh, Warren. I'm going to pack up and go to a different one. And I was like, okay. So then he had to pack everything up and then he called me about an hour later, but I had texted him that I couldn't make it to the second time. And you caught like what? 50. (laughs) I missed. I sat there and watched for like 30 minutes for one rabbit. And then within like 45 minutes, you caught like 50. Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> yeah, by, the end of the, by the end of the day, I think I, I had 60 exactly on the deck. I'm like counting them out. And I was like, oh, if I've got 59, I'm going to unload all of the dogs, all of the ferrets and the nets, and I'm going to go catch one more rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that sounds like an amazing day. I can spend an entire season, like an entire four-month coursing season and course like 35 hairs. And you caught 50 rabbits in one session. That's, that's awesome. Australia yeah, sounds so cool. <laughs> that was sick there. Um, the, the thing with rabbits here as well is they used to be in these insane plague proportions. I think it was there was 10 billion rabbits in Australia at one point. Oh, my gosh. Um, and they released Khaleesi virus and myxomatosis. Mm-hmm. I think they released Mixo first. It's, it's pretty bloody horrible. Um, yeah, it's a terrible death. Yeah. yeah, it's not a good way to go. No. Um, and after they released Mixo and Khaleesi, uh, it brought it down to 200 million rabbits, I think. Which is still an insane amount, but compared to 10 billion, that's almost two rabbits yeah. for every person on the planet. Yeah. Well, and not so, today, like, but when, maybe at that time. <laughs> like when you think of it too, like you're like, that was 
that was nine nine billion eight hundred million rabbits that were killed. Um, I think it's like the the most deadliest plague in the world. Oh my god! Yeah, it's so crazy. Like I imagine you could come to these areas that were infested and just smell that all underground. I'm assuming. Yeah, and like they every few years they'll re-release a new strain of Mixo or Khaleesi because they they do get immune to it. Of course, of course. Um, and yeah, uh, I'm not so sure how Khaleesi kills so much, um, but it's interesting. Like you can see Mixo rabbits, like because they 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 go blind, um, mm-hmm. uh, and they just you can just tell they're off their game when. You know, old dogs. Like I've got an old Ridgeback, and she, when she starts picking up rabbits, I'm like, oh, they've all got mixer. Hmm. Yeah. So how does um, that how does that make you feel? I mean, obviously you're doing rabbit removal work, so you understand the importance of you know controlling them. But if the rabbit hunting community is large in that area, are they pretty bummed out when a mixo plague comes through? Or is everyone just kind of accepting it as part of like removal of this non-native animal that competes with other native small mammals of Australia? Yeah, I think you can be both. Of course, um, of course. Yeah, like I, I'm like, ah, oh, that was a really good spot. Now there's no rabbits there. But then you know, after a year or two, you you start seeing a lot of um, a lot of new trees coming up and native grasses coming back and that sort of thing. Yeah, people don't, even myself included. Um, you can. It's hard to fathom how much damage they can do. They're actually a pretty intense grazing animal. And the yeah. little potholes they dug everywhere in that video sent me really blew me away. If that was my lawn, which I don't have a lawn, I just have like a sandy field. But if that was yeah. my lawn, I would be pretty mad. And I'd be calling yeah. you too to come get rid of them. Yeah. And like, that's, that's like, I was, I was talking to Dorothy and she said she doesn't have to, she doesn't have to mow her lawns at least. Um, <laughs> the rabbits do it for her. Wow. Yeah. So do you ever eat them? Are they, I, I love rabbit meat. I think it's great. And European rabbits are the wild ancestor to domestic rabbits and domestic rabbit meat is amazing so do, do yeah. you eat them yeah on occasion um we it's gets yeah, called ground mutton or underground mutton here <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> underground mutton i like that that's cool um no one of my friends those those rabbits i got the other day um she's like uh if you catch any rabbits can you please drop some off for me please so i went and dumped half a dozen on the doorstep that would be awesome. I need some of that in my house. Cottontails are a lot smaller than European rabbits, and uh, they're just not as prolific as those are. Yeah, right. Yeah. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. So, okay, ferreting. Nets, ferrets, weird weird snake cats down the holes, and then wait for, wait for them to come running out, and you smoke them with sight hounds. Okay, yeah. now let's go to foxes, because okay. every Australian I know loves fox hunting. Like, I mean, loves fox hunting. And that's yeah, like their main focus. Everyone tells me they're like, oh, mate, you're wasting your time chasing hares. They're too fast and expensive and stupid to chase. They just tire out your dogs for a good fox chase. And yeah. I say, well, okay, <laughs> why do you love fox hunting so much? Break it down. Um, uh, I don't know. It, you know, like, it's just like, I don't know why. Yeah, I just like it. It's like one of those things. It's like someone's like, why do you like hunting? It's like, huh? uh, I don't That's know. Good answer. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I think there's a lot of little reasons why, why you like it. Um, I, I really like having a relationship with my dogs, like a, like a partnership. Mm, definitely. Um, and, you know, so seeing them all work together. So the little Yark Terrier, um, I use her on 
everything you could possibly hunt here. Um, but mostly foxes. I'll throw her in a patch of cover and and she'll flush a fox out and then the stag hound will come along and pick it up. Um, and, you know, just watching that, that teamwork together, um, it's really satisfying, especially on something that's a bit of a challenge, you know, like it, it, it fights back um, and they're smart too. Just the way that they run. Uh, a lot of uh, ducking and weaving or are they pretty fast? Yeah. And just like, they're really smart with how they run. Like you'll see a fox break and if you, you got a shotgun, you want to shoot it, you know, you're like, Oh, it's, it's just ducked down into this dead ground. If I run up, I'll be able to shoot. It'll be running up the other side. But the second, like the second that you're out of sight, they'll turn a right angle and just run completely the, the opposite direction. That sounds just like jackrabbits. <laughs> I yeah, hate it too. Like, and you're like, where did they go? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's funny. You'll see a smart dog, like they'll come up to the top of the hill and they'll start jumping like a kangaroo throwing yep. their head around to see where it went. That's what mine do too. Yep. They look like a deer jumping around. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah. cool. Cause I've had jackrabbits, the same thing. Well, they'll hit like a huge patch of dead grass. And they like, I don't know how they do it, but they like flatten their body out. And then, like you said, they turn abruptly in certain directions and you, they just disappear. I mean, the grass yeah. is a foot tall and it's, I don't know how they just do it. They just vanish and it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like that's like, like, that's like foxes, like they'll use anything for cover, like even wind. Um, they'll, they'll run with the wind and then cut right angles. Um, so that the dog's chasing them, they'll, they'll, they might be running the, the scent. Oh, that's the other thing. All our stag hounds seem to have pretty good noses. Like it, it's a bred trait. It's really important in thick cover. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so you'll see the, you'll see where the fox went and you'll see the stag hounds run straight past where it turned and it'll take them a few seconds to figure out that they've overshot it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just, awesome. <laughs> yeah. They're just clever with, with all sorts of things like that. So what's the fox population like there? I'm, I'm imagining that's pretty prime habitat for them. Yeah, it's pretty heavy where we are. There's no, there's no natural predators for them. Um, and they've got a whole lot of food they can eat. Um, You're their natural like, predator. <laughs> yeah, like uh, for like two or three months of, at the, uh, the end of the year when all these fox, fox kits are running around, um, that's the only time you see stupid foxes. <laughs> um they they wise up pretty quick um but yeah where where i live um there's a there's a lot of foxes around here um we go hunt some uh some of the the flat crop country um out to the west and you know some nights we might get we might get nine or ten foxes without even really trying wow um and we go do a big uh, group hunt with a uh, a local hunt club uh our best year was we got 150 foxes for the weekend oh my gosh and also yeah. i just that you know all all hunters especially using the north american wildlife conservation model all hunters are doing a service to wildlife and people yeah. that don't hunt or that are on the fence like people that don't know anything about the hunting model don't understand that and that's something that i think is really important to always take time to explain in a really like logical and slow way to anti hunters is how we benefit the land because of our licenses, our, our dedication to the land, our dedication to the quarry. Nobody in this world 
loves jackrabbits more than me. I'm saying yeah. that right now. <laughs> and I'm saying that with 100% conviction. And also the places they live, we care about protecting. And then Australians really get to compound all the feelings that we get to have in America. Plus, for every fox you're taking out of the ecosystem, those are ground nesting birds. Those are, those are native marsupials that you guys are protecting. And that must feel awesome. Like, I really, really do um, envy that. I, and I don't have any guilt whatsoever for hunting native animals. I am actually very thankful that we do have these wonderful native animals in high enough populations that we can sustainably hunt them and responsibly hunt them. But it must feel great to know that you are helping out. That's, that's something that Luke and I had talked about a lot, that there is this pride knowing that you are helping these really rare and unique Australian animals. And I mean, I don't know if that's something that a lot of Australians feel or not, but I like to imagine they do. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think uh, hunters at least they do. Um, and like when you, when you get rid of, you know, 20 or 30 apex predators from a, a really small uh, area, you know, um, you've, oh, yeah. you've got to be making a difference, especially, you know, when they can eat, you know, a dozen critters a night. Oh, yeah. I mean, those little guys can just mow down lizards and ground nesting birds. Like, I mean, they're such a, such a, like you said, they're such an intelligent and cunning little predator. And the people think because cats and foxes are small that they're not really doing much, but they definitely are. Yeah, definitely. Um, like, I've personally, I've seen a, uh, a fox kill a baby kangaroo. Whoa. Uh, yeah. Uh, How did he get inside the pouch? I'm just kidding. I know. <laughs> Got a knock on the door. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, we uh, we popped up over the top of a ridge, uh, going down towards some tussocks where I know some foxes usually live, uh, and it's on one of the uh, the reserves that I uh, manage for work, and it's loaded with kangaroos as well. Um, and the kangaroos were going stupid down there, and it was a bit weird. Um, and yeah, then I saw there was this box that had a, uh, a half grown joey. Um, it must have just snuck too close to the reeds and it's uh, the tussocks and it's grabbed it. Hmm. But yeah, the idiot was too busy worrying about the the, uh, the joey though, and the dog smoked him, which was good. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, about Dogs two minutes to the rescue. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So you guys are you, when you guys dry foxes are you guys using scent hounds or are you guys just using bush beaters and sight hounds and terriers what how's that work literally everything um some guys uh especially down close in melbourne they've got packs of of beagles that are dedicated uh fox dogs yeah um it seems like beagles are more popular for it because they're just a little bit slower than the bigger hounds um and that's an important characteristic you want them to be slower like so, then but the guys beating as well can keep up with them as and um, and then you know they're able to shoot the fox as it comes out the other side instead of you know a pack of walkers or um, foxhounds just shredding it. Gotcha, you know? gotcha. Um, can foxhounds yeah. catch them? Sorry, I keep having all these questions. It's really interesting to me. Can, fo- <laughs> can foxhounds catch them in a dead run, or do you need sighthounds? I reckon eventually they'll run them down. Got it. They just do yeah. endurance and high like pursuit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Um, but no, mostly we use um, we use terriers and sight hounds for the most part. I like I throw my little uh, yark terrier 
uh, in, and she's awesome for it. The second she hits up a uh, she hits up a trail, she'll start squealing her head off. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, and same with the the stag hounds. Like, oh, so I should explain it better for people who have no idea what a fox drive is. Um, pretty much, there'll be a large patch of cover if you imagine a square, um, and it might just be a. Uh, a dried out wetland that's full of full of tussocks and reeds uh it makes perfect fox habitat um so a bunch of guys will stand downwind of the cover nice and quietly with either shotguns or some staghounds mm-hmm. um and then the other half of the crew will go up with all of the the noisy dogs and the kids and and um push through the uh the cover um, all the noise they make, the dogs barking, uh, running through the through the scrub, and all the scent that they're thro- throwing um, downwind. Yep. Cover. Yeah, um, the foxes nearly always will run with the wind. Gotcha. Um, and so, yeah, the guys sitting down the bottom, nice and quiet, end up shooting most of the foxes that come out of there. Yep, and you I guys are letting dogs go too. I'm assuming instead of shotguns, you can just let the dogs go and they'll catch them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you can do it both ways as well. Um, like so, right on the edges of the uh, the stopping line, the the uh, shooting line, you might have a, a couple guys with staghounds. So if they break out to the sides, uh, the the dogs will smoke them, and then any that runs straight to the uh, the shooters get shot. What's a great day for fox hunting? What's a phenomenal day? And what's an average day, would you say? Uh, for our small crew, um, I reckon nine or 10 is like a relatively good day. Wow. 20 is an excellent day for our small crew, yeah. That's, again, just a small, a small area. That's incredible numbers. Yeah, really like we is. might only hunt one, one farm and get that many. Um, it also depends like sometime, sometime of the year, there's seems to be so many more foxes about like all the covers being eaten out by sheep and cattle. Um, so they might only be living in one or two, uh, billabongs or swamps. So, you know, two months before there might be one or two foxes in there and now there'll be seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that always, you know, Again, from my southern New Mexico lens, this is really dry, difficult habitat for pretty much everything to live. You know, I when I went to the eastern when I went to eastern United States, I went to Kentucky, just driving down the interstate, I could not believe how many deer there are. And so I'm I'm just blown away at how many animals can be in an area, but southern Australia is pretty productive. So this is always amazing to me. I, um, I bet you some of the listeners that are in the eastern United States and I'm talking about how many deer are in an area they're going oh only eight sandbar in that area there'd be 300 whitetail in there <laughs> yeah so but and it's funny too because whitetail are are really highly cherished but their populations are also just mind-boggling just yeah. mind-boggling we counted like yeah. 200 deer and we drove an hour if you saw if you drove an hour in where i live and you saw 10 deer that would be like an incredible day you would be like wow i saw 10 deer today like that was something we should write in the record books Mm. so yeah i just uh i'm just throttled at at how productive you guys' areas are and maybe i'm living in the wrong place (laughs) don't come visit you'll want to stay man 
Oh man, I would love to, man. You should, uh, I don't want to force myself on you, but I've already texted you, but man, I, I want to come <laughs> to Southern Australia to climb. My wife is just obsessed with rock climbing. Yeah. And uh, you say you live pretty close to some good climbing. So we should drop drop off my wife at the rocks and let's go get some foxes because that is something I really want to experience. I want to drop your ferrets down some holes too. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, I'll get I'll get my climbing friends to take her out and we'll we'll bugger off. That's a. a I'm just gonna drop off my wife with all these random Australians <laughs> while we go hunting. <laughs> what a good honeymoon that'd be. <laughs> yeah, because we actually haven't had our honeymoon. We we couldn't yeah. afford it when I got married. So yeah, that'll be a. That'll be good. She told me, she's like, you only want to go to Australia to hunt with all your friends. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I missed FaceTime with Corbin so we could hang out. So now we're even. I'm going to go hunting now when we go to Australia. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. We yeah. have several goals when we go to Australia. And one of them is I have to meet the cat man of Kangaroo Island. I uh, have to meet yeah. him. Yeah, he he's awesome everyone listening google the cat man of kangaroo island he is amazing and i also really want to find a bilby i want to see one in the wild but luke tells me they're really rare which makes yeah. me sad good he luck said, with that yeah because of cats and foxes yeah so everyone we slay i will say that one's for you bilby yeah <laughs> like there's not there's none here anymore that's such a shame because there's so yeah, many cool things there. There's there's a lot of things that should be here, especially especially where I live. Um, uh, it used to be incredibly diverse with the marsupial population, um, but pretty much all of the ground dwelling marsupials, even the uh, the small carnivores like quolls. Yeah, quolls are crazy. They're, they're pretty much gone. They're, there's none left. A bilby is like a cross between a jackrabbit and a kangaroo and a like kangaroo rat kind of They're sort so, of yeah yeah it's it's like that um what's it called that Con convergent evolution it's yep. like it, it resembles a lot like rabbits uh in, in other continents yeah um, that's a man nice good one convergent yeah. evolution to all the listeners is when a body plan that is successful is reached by two lineages of animals that are completely unrelated so the best example i was taught in school is sharks and dolphins both have dorsal fins but obviously they're not even remotely related it's just that body plan works so evolution is going to take them to that point and a bilby has all these jackrabbit like characteristics because that body plan is very successful for arid desert living for whatever reason having huge ears and that kind of hopping gait is good <laughs> One thing I learned from kangaroos is um, is like hopping is really efficient. It's an efficient way of traveling. And when you live in a terrible arid area, efficiency yeah. is absolutely everything. That's you gotta it. you gotta maximize every calorie because they're hard to come by. Did Did you guys have a lot of bilbies in your area? Uh, once upon a time, I'm pretty sure we did. Um, yeah, but pretty much everything's gone now. Um, yeah. That yeah. Even even the things like uh, the gliders, like I sent you a few videos from work the other day. Yeah. Up a lot of nest boxes for gliders and maintaining some of the ones that were already there. Cats that get them? What's taking them out? Yeah, cats have learned uh, with some of the boxes, they've learned how to pop the lid on the box and just help themselves 
to the mm. gliders inside like a happy meal. So do Australians hunt cats like coon hunters hunt coons here? Can you like tree them? Um, I think it's more of an opportunistic thing. Yeah, that's uh, what Luke kind of described it as too in his yeah. show. <clears throat> Some places where uh, where I used to hunt when I was younger, um, uh, where was it called? Uh, out near Urana. Um, there, there, either there would be foxes or there would be cats. There would be one or the other. Hmm. Um, and yeah, like some nights we'd get we'd get ten or twelve cats, and they would be massive. They'd be bigger than a fox. Wow! Dang! Um, Holy crap! That's a big cat. <laughs> yeah, um, and like just through the shoulders as well. Um, that just like you look at like the shoulders on a mountain lion. That's what they look like. Just those big rounded brings a whole new level to porch panther (laughs) yeah yeah, but like sometimes i should try and find a photo and send it to we'll catch a big dirty ginger cat and be hanging on the uh on the back of the dog box with the uh with a fox and it's obviously bigger than the fox wow yeah Yeah. you should send me that to me and if yeah if it's clean i want to post it so some of the viewers can see it (laughs) It's clean enough. Yeah, yeah, clean enough. Right, right, right. I um, wanna, yeah, like, I'm just so like fascinated by it. Go ahead. Like, like we were saying though, like, like if, it, if it's cute and someone has a pet right, version of it, right. they don't like seeing it hunted at all. Like, yeah. And that's this, what we're always trying to promote is nuance, perspective, and critical thinking because it's just obvious that they need to be hunted. I mean, there's, yeah. just, no, there's just no way to defend it. To, to not do anything about it. I mean, it's just totally illogical to let them go. Yeah. And like, like I said, there's no, there's no good argument except for an emotional one. Um, yeah. in my opinion, um, there's this ridiculous notion that you can trap neuter and release them and somehow that's going to work, but it's just impossible. There's the, the size of our country, um, is too big and you'll never catch enough cats in traps to make that an effective method of controlling them. Take it from a person who is a wildlife biologist. I specialize in wildlife research. We have done studies on trap neuter release. It's commonly called TNR. TNR studies, they don't work. What happens is you neuter a male. He doesn't defend his territory anymore. And some random unneutered male just claims his territory. And all it takes is one unneutered male to impregnate every female in a five mile radius. And it's so difficult to catch them. It's a funny story. The TNR program that we were following here, they had a marked reduction in the cat population and everyone was like, it's working, it's working. And I was like, no, no, because, well, not me, the people that were, I was just a technician, but the people that were kind of leading that study were like, you don't have marked population decreases in these urban areas in two months. Something's going on. So we put all these cameras out to watch. Turns out it was just a pair of coyotes that had figured out that when you put people put out food for them to like feed them. And so these cats would come and eat cat food. You would see a coyote run up and grab the cat, kill the cat, set the cat down, eat all the cat food, pick up the cat and leave. And it would just keep going to all those bait stations and catching cats like all night. And I was like, yeah, go coyotes. Like, <laughs> That's the exactly reverse of what's happening in Australia, but it's good news. I was like, go coyotes, go. 
And we yeah. were like, yeah, it works. TNR is working great. <laughs> no, that's like, don't, don't say that too loud because some people will think bringing coyotes here would be a good idea. No. Yeah. 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 Australia is <laughs> the poster child for if you have a problem and introduce an animal to fix it and then it never yeah. works. Foxes were just introduced for sport hunting and that was a disaster, but I don't want to go too deep in this rabbit hole, but cane toads are pretty much the epitome of the sadness of Australian introduction. Do you guys have lots of cane toads? Uh, not where I live. Um, where I used to live, I lived up in Darwin when I was in the army. Um, and yeah, they were filthy up there. Um, with cane toads, it's interesting because everyone uses that as like the, um, like the thing to hold up, like biological controls don't work. But what they don't realize is that it wasn't the CSIRO, um, or a bunch of uh, scientists who know exactly what they're doing and talking about have studied this for decades, who released it. Um, it was farmers going off some news articles in, in a newspaper. Gotcha. That, that released it. Um, you know, some, some islands, some Pacific islands had a, a, a big decrease in cane beetles uh, a year or two after cane toads were released on the island, but it, it was more likely that um, it was just a really wet year, so they just didn't breed that year, and yeah. they used that as as science and brought cane toads to Australia. Uh, and they're a disaster, aren't they? Yeah. Why? Why? Explain. Um, they they're poisonous, basically. Poisonous or toxic. I get them confused. Poison is ingested. Venom is injected. Yeah. So poison. They're they're poisonous. Yeah. Um, uh, And nothing here or except for one snake species, the keelback, um, only one snake species can eat them. Everything else that eats them dies pretty much. Wow. That's hopefully a lot of foxes decided they're delicious. (laughs) They're probably too smart for that though. That's the bad thing. There's not that many feral cats and foxes in Northern Australia in like the uh, tropics huh. where, where, these, where these live. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, so things like saltwater crocodiles, um, water monitors, freshwater crocodiles, or all our fish like barramundi, that sort of thing. Uh, if they eat cane toads, they, they die pretty much. Um, Okay, so I'm going to let this go because I strayed too far from foxes hunting with hounds, but I have to go here because (laughs) when you said this, I literally kind of like jaw dropped. You're telling me that the largest reptile on this planet, a saltwater crocodile, can die from eating too many cane toads. Uh, Yeah, I think so, especially like when they're small, I take it. (laughs) Yeah, like and they, they start out like... Oh, like six inches long or something. Right. Well, they come out of an egg. So I, yeah. I just, I'm just imagining like a, like yeah. a three thousand pound crocodile eating like a thousand cane toads and dying, which is not what's happening. But anyway, sorry. He'd be crooking <laughs> the, the guts for a few days, I reckon. Yeah. But, yeah. Um. Now he's they're probably too busy eating cows. So yeah, yeah. Saltwater crocodiles are so crazy. I mean, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> back to fox hunting with dogs. <laughs> As the listeners know, I'm an insane nerd and uh, I just like to talk to people that have an entirely different life outlook than me or like a life experience than me. So you're talking about, you know, we're talking about crazy giant crocodiles that are absolutely capable of eating people. I really want to go down that hole, but no, we will stop there. 
Lucky because I used to work at a crocodile farm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my, my buddy lived in Malaysia for a while and that is like the man-eating capital of the world for saltwater yeah. crocodiles. Yeah. And he said people are like playing in the canals with crocodiles swimming around. And they're just like, oh, if you don't bother them, they won't bother you. And I'm like, I don't know if that's how it works with a you know, 27 foot long super predator. But again, I don't live there. So I'll stick to yeah. dry land where they're not a problem. No, what do, I don't what think do you think? It, is that true? If they, you don't bother them, they don't bother you? Or you think that's uh, silly? No, I think that's silly. Uh, nothing scares me more than saltwater crocodiles, to be honest. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So maybe. Uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, so I guess I should probably just call this episode crocodiles. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, yeah, I wanted to kind of go back to, I was thinking about this while you were talking about, so you can have, so we're going to go back loop all the way back to when you have your, your people in ambush waiting in the Fox drive, what kind of yep. distance are you guys separating each other with? And are you guys using like low caliber rim fires or are you guys using shotguns? And then when you have the houndsmen behind, are you trying to find a more open area so that the dogs can see them running by? Or are they actually kind of using a combination of all their senses to get locked onto that fox and catch them? Um, so I'll, I'll start from the start. Um, with, the, with the distance, it kind of, they're like a lot of, a lot of guys, especially when they're first going out, they want to be like 10 meters away from the cover. Mm-hmm. Like, stand, like, it's like you can stand 100, 150 meters away from the cover. Like if that fox is running out in a straight line, it's going to keep running in a straight line. Um, and the kind of like the further away you stand from the cover, uh, the less likely the fox knows that that you're there, um, and and the more likely it's going to commit to completely running out of the cover, and gotcha. yeah, then have that uh oh moment when it sees you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, so then, then the guys who stand on the, uh, if you've got stag hounds, like you want to be standing pretty far away from the cover. Um, like my dogs are pretty good, uh, especially Lexi. Like she'll wait, like she knows like this is, this thing's just running straight to me. I'm just going to sit here really nice and quiet uh, until it's sniffing me on the nose and then I'm going to grab it. That's Where awesome. It, yeah. Um, but yeah, like a smart dog, they'll see them the second they come out of the cover. And if they think that the fox is going to come close to them, um, they'll sit there and wait. But if they think that fox is getting away, they'll start carrying on like idiots. That's yeah. amazing. I love dogs. <laughs> That's why I'm talking to you right now. That's so cool. I mean, obviously, you need some serious repetition to get to that point. But at the same time, they learn pretty quick, I imagine. It always yeah. blew me away how quickly my dogs figured out how to bust hidden hairs you know they like you were saying the foxes can somehow just get into that dead ground and just hide and evade my dogs have been evaded by a couple hairs and they quickly figured out how to work as a team to try to find them when they flatten to the ground and try to zip under the grass and like bouncing around like deer and putting their nose in the wind i I it's just amazing those are the feelings when you're hunting with dogs that it's this partner where you're working with both of your advantages. Cause of course I'm helping them try to find the hair. I'm using my eyes and they're using their ears and nose trying to find it. And it's just magic. I, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon one of my favorite things is like, I'll just, I'll just grab a couple dogs and I'll grab the terrier. I'll grab a stag hand or two and just go for a walk by myself. Um, and like, I'll see a patch of cover a couple hundred meters away, you know, it might just be an old little rubbish pile or something or, 
you know, some piled up concrete or you know, a big patch of tussocks. And the dogs just, they see it as well and they just run up to it because they know, like, mm-hmm. I reckon there's one in here. Yep. Um, and, and they'll run through it. Um, and that I reckon that's really satisfying is when you start seeing dogs, like, they, they learn that sort of stuff as well. Doing um, it, just getting it done. And it's, I love yeah, it. Yeah. Mm. Corbin, my friend, yep. did you know that it's been an hour and a half already? Oh, there you go. I could, I just, I looked down at the clock and I was like, holy smoke, time is flying. And I, I feel like I just keep going down on these weird rabbit holes of Australian weirdness, but I love it. I, I really do. do. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I got friends in Australia all over the continent. And uh, I, this is no disrespect to all the Australians listening. I definitely want to come experience the sandbar drive with you. That is something I, I want to put on my to-do list. And c- luckily for me, the rock climbing's close. <laughs> yeah, you're lucky. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's easy to convince my wife when that stuff's around. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but I wanted to ask you the last question. Is there anything you want to ask me or is there anything last on your mind that you want to say uh, to the HXP community? Uh, no, uh, thanks for having us on. Um, uh, I'm going out uh, ferreting again next weekend. Um, I might do a, uh, if I can, a, um, a live stream of it because I'll have reception out there. Oh, that'd be sweet. Yeah, we'd love yeah. to. That would be cool. Why don't you, uh, yeah, I, and of course, I'm going to say this on the air to you and all of the fans. We love the feedback and we love seeing you guys' content. So if you want to share some stuff, contact me, message me. I would love to live stream you guys on the, on the group. You know, we just have a simple, um, I guess, ethos for the, for the page. It's preserve, protect, promote. So we want to see like-minded houndsmen out here that want to represent us in the greatest way. And we would love to show your guys' story and your content on the show, on our Facebook page, on our Instagram page. I think that would be sweet, dude. And I would, we would love that. So yeah, definitely let's get that done and, and share whatever pictures you want to share. We can share them with your episode. And when I link it to the page, I'll share some photos if you'd like, or obviously you're more than welcome to post them under your own account, however you want, bud. Um, that yeah, would no, be sweet. I'll send you a few more photos. That'd be awesome, man. So, I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, I mean, it, whatever the pursuit is, I think the most beautiful, beautiful and unifying thing is we all just love watching our dogs do what they're bred to do, what they're born to do. And there is something so nice about just cruising around the bush with your dogs and watching them hunt. And it doesn't matter if you're cruising through the, you know, the prairies of Southern New Mexico, the jungles of, of Southern Australia, the forests of Southern Australia, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine. Corbin, thanks for being on, buddy. Man, I really enjoyed it. Thanks again for coming. Nah, sounds good, mate. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later, buddy. All right, catch up.